You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, says, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us, you and I, to triumph, to win in Christ. Listen, I'm so excited to have you with us today. Tag a friend, let them know that we're on. Share this podcast with someone. We're in my leadership edition of the How to Win, and I am excited about this series we've begun, we've begun recently entitled Leadership is Not for Wimps. Our theme is on courage. Boy, it takes courage to be a great leader. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, the first part of the verse, I believe God is speaking prophetically to you right now. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people. Oh, listen, listen to me now. Be strong, be courageous, for you are the one. That's why you're with me on this journey, because you are the one to lead the people. God is calling you to lead the people, and he's equipping you through these podcasts to lead them effectively. Now, we're talking about uh, courage. Leadership is not for wimps. Courage is our theme. In part one, this is a three-part series. We concluded part one, and we part one was the title of it was Courage the quality every leader must possess. Now we're in part two. We'll begin it today. And part two is on decision-making because there's a, 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 a connection between decision-making and courage. So our, subtitle, our, our, our title, pardon me, our title for this part. Now, our overall title for part two is decisions will make you or break you. Your decisions will make you or break you. Decision-making is one of the fundamental responsibilities of leadership, fundamental, basic. You have to have an appreciation and understand the importance and how to make good decisions. Because both your personal experience, you as a leader, your personal experience, experiences and the personal experiences of your followers will be determined by your leadership. I said this in our uh, first part, your leadership, your decisions will earn you favor and disfavor. Your decision-making will earn you favor, but will also earn you disfavor. But remember this, your job as a leader is not to make people happy, not to make everybody happy. That's not what your job is, to make everybody. Your job is not to make everybody happy. Your job 
is to please God, build the pe- build the people, and to deliver good results for your organization. That's your job. Christian leader, your job is to please God, build the people, and deliver good results to your organization. Now, remember, your decisions will be the subject and you, the subject of scrutiny. Your decisions will be the subject of discussion. People are going to be talking about your decisions. Your decisions are going to be the, the, the subject of review and interpretation. And some people, remember this, please remember this, some people are going to misinterpret your motives and they're going to misinterpret your decisions. You got to just embrace that reality. Some people are going to misinterpret your decisions and they're going to take it to another level. They're going to even misinterpret your motives sometimes. So listen at this. Decision-making requires thick skin. Say that. Decision-making requires thick skin. Come on, say that one more time. Decision-making requires thick skin. Now, Here's the good news. It requires the courage, and that's why I wanted to do uh, an entire part on decision-making because you're going to be making so many decisions, and and your success is going to be defined by how good of a decision-maker you are because you're going to be making a lot of decisions. But here's the good news. When your decision-making skill increase so will your courage increase. I'll say that again. When your decision-making skills increase, so will your courage increase. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge is that there's no specific process or cookie cutter method for making good decisions. No specific process. If you read good books on leadership, there are going to be different processes that they're going to offer you. In the Bible, uh, the Bible teaches different principles about decision making. So there's no specific process and no cookie cutter uh, method of making good decisions. So the great leader, the excellent leader, must establish a framework for decision-making. And that's what I want to help you to do. I want to help you, not give you a process to every, because it's not going to fit every decision. But I want to give you a framework that you can establish to make good decisions. And the framework should include the ingredients of styles, traps, and advisors. Gonna also include criticism, but that's in part three, so we'll push that off the table. So this framework that I wanna help you to establish 
will involve styles, decision-making styles, will involve traps, flaws in your thinking that will undermine your decisions, and then advisors, people who can give you support and give you sound wisdom. Styles, traps, and advisors. So in lesson one of decisions will make you or break you, let's talk about decision-making styles. Decision-making styles. Now remember these leadership uh, lessons are based off biblical principles. So let's now go to Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. I'm going to read it to you in the New Century version of the Bible. It reads, if you want to build a tower, you first sit down and decide, decision making, how much it will cost to see if you have enough money to finish the job. If you don't, you might lay you might lay the foundation, but you would not be able to finish. Then all who would see it would make fun of you, saying this person began to build but was not able to finish. Let's talk about decision making styles. And remember, this is just a framework. It's not necessarily a process. It's not a cookie-cutter method. It's a framework, and a part of that framework is your decision-making styles. We're going to look at four decision-making styles to decision-making. Now, all of us, you and I, every leader, in fact, every person is prone to a certain style of decision-making. There's a, a, a predisposition, if you will, to a certain style of uh, decision-making that we all have. We fall within the framework in our predominant thinking in one of these four styles. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, as I walk you through these different styles, four different styles of decision-making, I am going to give you the strength of the style and the weakness of the style. Then we go to the next style. I want you to self-evaluate while I'm teaching. I want you to self-evaluate, and I want you to think about your decision-making. What style are you prone to operate in, or what style do you have a tendency? Now, there may be some crossover, but the predominant way that you make decisions. And I want you to evaluate and think about yourself. And if you have a team of people under you or direct reports, they're uh, giving you insight, perspectives, wisdom as a team. I want you to evaluate 
their style of decision making. And then uh, it'll be good, I think, to share with them this information of this podcast. So the first decision making style is number one, gut reaction. Gut reaction. Do you make most of your decisions through gut reaction? Gut reaction, this style is based on deep inner feelings, deep inner desires, or deep uh, intuition. Intuition. I felt led or I felt it was the right thing. My intuition says that I should do this. Good reaction. Now, let's look at the strengths of this style of decision-making. And many leaders, they operate predominantly out of their gut. You know, a gut reaction or their instincts. The strength of this decision-making style, gut reaction, is the ability to make quick decisions to a situation. And some situations need immediate attention. In a case of a crisis, uh, some adversity that surprises you, there are times you have to move. There are decisions you have to move. Some opportunities that come our way don't ever come back our way. And, and we have to make some good decisions. And the strength of gut uh, reactions is that you have the ability to make quick decisions in the situation because these situations require uh, immediate attention. The gut reaction style involves a willingness to take risk, a willingness to take risk the strength of gut reaction. Now listen at this. Let's, because each one of these styles also comes with weaknesses. The weakness of the gut reaction decision-making style is often there's a failure to do needed research. Sometimes leaders who operate out our their gut fail to touch all their bases. They fail to do their homework. They fail to do needed research. Another weakness is that when you have leaders who operate our gut, the people who should be included, because if, if it's a team, you don't want to always be springing decisions on your team. People who operate out of their gut, this gut reaction, decision-making style, the weakness, one of the weaknesses that people who should be included in the decision-making process, they feel hurt and they feel disappointed because they were left out. I just feel that it was the right thing to do. And now you're surprising your team. So there are strengths to this 
style of decision-making and their weaknesses. So just right away, just for a few moments, just think now, is this your style of decision-making? Do you operate mostly out of your gut, those deep inner feelings, desires, or what is often called instinct? Is that your, is that your pattern of decision-making? Now, you say, well, I can't answer that until you, you explain the, the other three styles. Okay, okay, I, I, I feel you. I feel you right there. The second decision-making style that we want to look at briefly is list-checking. When I think about the teams that I've had around me, I see people who are, have a predisposition and they're prone to operate out of their gut. And then I see others who are list checkers. They, they have this list checking style of decision making. This is the process oriented style, which utilizes a list of all that should be done to reach the goal. Some people, they have a physical list, but but because they're prone to this, they, they have a list in their mind of what should be done to achieve this goal. And the strength of this list-checking style is that there's thorough gathering of information this person, this list-checking style of decision-making person will be touching their bases. They will be doing their homework, gathering information, and it's thorough. Another strength is that it will is thorough in involving others in the decision-making process and evaluating options. This is a good style. It really is a good style because it's thorough list checking, thorough in gathering information. It's thorough in involving people who need to be involved. It's thorough in evaluating options. So you may be thinking, well, What's a weakness in that style? That seemed like the perfect style. Well, let, let's look at the weaknesses. Sometimes people who operate out of this list-checking style, the list can be too long. It can be just too long because they're touching every basis. That means they're just touching every single basis. And you can see how if there's a situation that requires immediate action, you're going to come up short with this person because this person has to check all their bases and the list just can be too long for the situation. It can add complexity to a situation that may not need that much complexity. Being overly thorough which is an asset on one end, can lead to analysis paralysis. You ever heard that term, analysis paralysis? Procrastination, indecisiveness. In other words, because the list is too long, you never get to the action part of it because you're trying to touch all your bases and you're indecisive because you got to do this and we hadn't checked this and we hadn't checked this and we hadn't checked this. So this style has some weaknesses. So let's self-evaluate. Take a moment, let's self-evaluate. 
Is this you? Is this your style of making decisions? Do you have a list-checking style? In other words, a process in your thinking, either physical or mental in your mind, where you are checking off a list of people who need to be involved, of information that you need to gather, of options. Now, you, when you hear that, you can see all of the politics about it, but re remember the weakness is you can get into analysis paralysis. In other words, it takes you so long to make decisions that sometimes the opportunity can be uh, gone, and sometimes this style doesn't fit a situation that requires immediate action. The third uh, style of decision-making is the data-driven style. Data-driven. 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 Uh, this style of decision-making is based on numbers, <laughs> statistics, trends, information gathered on graphics and spreadsheets. This is the data person. And, 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 and listen, you need some data people. I'm telling you, if you're in a leadership position, you're in a leadership position, and especially if you desire to grow and you uh, are experiencing growth or you're experiencing growth, you're going to need some data-driven individuals on the team. And, 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 and I pastored for four, over four decades, and uh, we were and still is a very strong church financialist, very strong, beautiful church, spiritually, financially, our church, just great givers, just great givers, and a lot of money flows to our church. And, and, and so you have to have budgets and you have to have, uh, you have to uh, establish yearly budgets for the next year. And, and so you have to have some data-driven uh, people who have this this tendency uh, to gather the numbers and the figures and the statistics and all that. And we were fortunate. I was fortunate. I say this. I was fortunate. And, and the church that I pastor uh, is still fortunate to have some people. I had some great people uh, who were data-driven in their uh, decision-making I, I was very fortunate because if you don't have these kind of people, boy, you're going to waste resources and and, and you're just going to do a whole lot of stuff and not be accountable. And accountability is so important, especially in that financial arena. Now, watch this. So there are strengths to the data-driven decision-making style. Let's look at the strengths. The strengths are the ability to make fairly accurate predictions of what is to come. And I talked about planning, talked about budgeting. It's good for long-term planning. You need data. You need information. 
You need numbers. You need statistics. You need trends for long-term planning. And, and that's the positive of making decisions in this way. A second uh, uh, strength of data-driven uh, style is the ability to plan for variables, mitigate risk. Everything is going to involve some risk. Create contingencies. I remember when we were building our buildings, uh, major building projects. You have to always, it's going to be some risk involved, but you have to always create contingencies. If this happens, then what do you do? If you have rain delays, what do you do? You know, if if you are are you have a mortgage or you you get a loan from a bank, then you have to think through payments and 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 income that's coming in to pay off those payments. So so there's strength to this. And and believe it or not, Jesus and the Bible. Uh, are into numbers. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Jesus in feeding the 5,000 told his disciples, set them up in fifties and hundreds. The Bible is into numbers. That's not carnal to be into numbers. That's spiritual. The Bible said Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children and then gathered up 12 baskets left over. 12, not 10, not 7, 12. They counted the baskets. 5,000 men plus women and children. They, those were not estimates. They counted the people. Somebody was counting the people data-driven uh, decision-making. And then the final, uh, well, well I, I'm, pardon me, I, I didn't get into the weakness. You know, I, I understand the importance of the data and the numbers and the information and the statistics. That's really important because the Bible says a man plans his way and the Lord directs his step. The man plans his way and you can't plan without data. You can't plan without numbers. You can't plan without statistics. You can't plan without trends. You can't plan without knowing what you have received, what you have, what you need. So that's so important. We see the strengths. Now here's the weaknesses. The weaknesses are Numbers are the leading indicators on how to proceed. Now watch this. Numbers are the leading indicators on how to proceed. And sometimes there are no numbers. Got it? Sometimes, let's say you are starting a new work, a new business or whatever, and it's, it's innovative or it's creative. It's a different way of doing things. You may not have numbers. You may not have the numbers. Maybe nobody's ever done what you get ready to do. So where are you going to get numbers from? Where are you going to get this from? Where are you going to get the statistics from? Nobody's ever done maybe what God has asked you to do. That's a weakness. If you got to have data, but there's no data, 
then it's going to be a weakness of leaning on this style. Now watch this. Sometimes, talking about weakness, sometimes the numbers contradict the divine mandate. Okay, so you got you you making decisions by numbers and statistics and trends and information. You got your graphs, you got your spreadsheets. So you got all the numbers, but what if the numbers contradict the mandate? So sometimes God will give you a mandate, instructions, an assignment, ask you to fulfill a care out or achieve a project that contradicts the numbers. I'll give you three illustrations of that. Gideon was raised up by God to defeat the Midianites. And if you read Judges, Judges 6 through several chapters, you'll see how Gideon defeated an army of 135 uh, Midianite troops. But he had, uh, God gave him only 300 people. 300 people, Gideon, being led by God, defeated a hundred uh, army of 135,000 soldiers with 300 soldiers. The numbers contradict the mandate. No one, no one, no one fights with 300 people and go up against an army of 135,000. But Gideon had a mandate. And sometimes the mandate contradicts the numbers. So if you depend, if he were dependent on the numbers, he never would have got the victory because he would have said, there's no way you can take 300 people and soldiers and defeat 135,000. You get what I'm saying? But think about it. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. When they did the data and brought the numbers, that five loaves and a few fish. Well, how are we going? Well, five loaves of bread and two fish. How are we going to feed 5,000 people of women and children, possibly 20,000 people, five loaves of bread and a few fish? A little boy's lunch. How are we going to do that? Well, see, now we got a mandate because God said give them something to eat. We don't have the numbers, we don't have the resources to be able to do it in the natural. So if we're data-driven, we're never going to obey God because sometimes the mandate contradicts the numbers. We built a dome when I was pastor of this wonderful church, Faith Chapel, Birmingham and Columbus. We built a dome in Columbus that seats 3,000 people and it cost 16 million dollars and we built it debt free without borrowing any money and the numbers did not match the assignment because I know the numbers didn't because I was the lead pastor of the church so I know we had never had that much money come through our church like that $16 million, we're going to do it debt-free. We didn't have the money 
When you look at the books, the bank statement, whatever you want to look at, we did not have $16 million. We did not have that. We did not have it. But God instructed us to build this building debt-free, and he gave us the specific uh, uh, how many seats and, and the specifics, the, the kind of building. So we had a mandate, but we didn't have the numbers. So when we're data-driven and we don't have the numbers, then we'll come up short, and that's the weakness of the data-driven uh, decision-making style. Finally, number four, uh, decision-making style is spiritually guided. Now, from the, the, right away, you would think this is the, this, the, this one we should forget about all the other ones. Spiritually guided decision-making are decisions that are made, watch this, through prayer, Scripture, and being led by the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Right away, if you have any spirituality at all, you're a Christian, Christian leader, been in church, know the Bible, you will say, listen, forget all the other stuff. Forget all the other stuff. Forget the gut reaction. Forget the list checking. Forget the data. Listen, prayer, scripture, leading in the Holy Spirit. Well, there are strengths in this style, but decision making, but they're also weakness. And don't throw don't throw rocks at me. Don't don't stone me. You know, give me a chance. I'll explain it. The strength in the spiritually guided decision making and and, and I'm prone to this style. I, I I know this style. I I bank my life on this style. But I also know the weaknesses of this style. So the strength is dependence on God. That's if I say nothing else about strength, that's that's it. Dependence on God. Dependence on God. It was God that spoke to me as the pastor uh, of this church to build a dome. It was God. It was not my idea. It was God. It was dependency on God. Another strength is that you experience God's faithfulness. Listen. In the word, praying, God said it, God did it. Oh, my goodness, I see the faithfulness of God. It develops, this style develops intimacy. Intimacy with God is developed because you're basing it on prayer. Anytime you're spending quality time in prayer, quality time in the word, listening to the Holy Spirit, you're going to develop some intimacy with God. That's the strength of it. It is, it is, it's the strength of it. Now watch this though. Here's the weakness. Many times when Individuals like myself who is prone to this decision-making style, spiritually guided, we tend sometimes to miss, to not understand the natural starts, the side of obeying God. Even though we got the word from God, even though God spoke to us, even though we spent time, even though we're being led by the Spirit, there is a practical side to hearing God because God said, don't, don't. That's all he gave me one word. That $16 million, that 3,000 he word, I got one word from God, don't. But there was a practical side to that. The practical side to that was 
I got to I gotta do some homework about the domes. What kind of dome? I, I got to do some practical. Uh, you know, how do you want us to, to finance? He said, don't borrow. Don't, don't borrow. But there's some practical side because we got to get the architect. We got to get the construction. We got to get them on the right page. See, there's some natural practical steps. And sometimes when people are being led, which is good, praying, which is good, they sometimes don't understand the natural side of obeying what God said to do. That's a weakness. Another weakness is sometimes our ego, our emotions, and our ignorance can distort our hearing. Sometimes we say we're following God, but really it's an ego. We're dealing something that we just wanted to do. And we just tagging God's name to God said, but it's really ego. And sometimes we just emotional. We we just want to do get all emotional and it's not really hearing uh, God. Sometimes we're hearing our emotions. Sometimes we're hearing our ego. And then, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes we just miss God. I miss God. There were times I missed him. Yeah, I thought I heard him, but I missed him. And then finally, this individual who, uh, you know, this spiritually guided person, and I've fallen into this trap, they sometimes become resentful at natural-minded people. We, we say the data-driven, they're carnal. We're the list-checker, they're carnal. And so sometimes because we feel like we're being led, we resent people who give us information. When the Bible says in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. The Bible says a man plans his way, and then the Lord will give direction. So what am I saying? In conclusion, I'm saying that we need a blend of all these different styles. And if you have a team, you want to have a team of people who have a, a predisposition and a tendency and they're prone toward one style. And if you are prone to one style of, of decision-making like me, this spiritually guided, then you need to surround yourself with some people who have this other decision, are prone to this other decision-making style. You need to surround yourself so you will have a different style, have balance, and you'll learn. So I've, in my leadership, I've learned from the list-checking person. I've learned uh, from the data-driven person, and it's helped me to grow. It's helped me to grow because I had those people around me. Now I have more of a list of things touching my bases. Now I'm more concerned about the numbers because I had people around me that had that style. So every leader need a blend of those styles because there's going to be some strengths and weaknesses in all four of them. I pray that uh, this was a blessing to you. In our next episode, we're going to talk about decision-making traps.
and you're going to get blessed by it. Listen, I love you. Thank you for taking this journey with me. I trust that you got some out of the lesson today. I look forward to seeing you next time.